Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Yes, hello, 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 and a very special hello to Specfic New Zealand, with whom I had two fabulous hours, two hours, 20 minutes, actually, yesterday, four o'clock in the morning. That was the only not-so-good thing. But Specfic New Zealand, rah, rah, rah. Give me a good review, guys. Oh, my word! She's a writer, a writer's muse, and she's been a ghostwriter for the A-list crowd as well. It's Ros Morris! He's a buccaneer, a raconteur, an avid fan of the Seagulls. What's that? Pop group? Ask him. It's Andy Dickinson. Hello, Roz. So nice to see you. How is lockdown treating you? Any Nazi horses dropping heavy weights on your feet? Will that make sense to anyone who's just tuned in? No, it won't. (laughs) Fortunately, the horse I have now is a dainty fellow and wouldn't tread on my feet. But the one I had before was was like a war horse. And he could could have seen people off in suits of armour, probably. I can just see you up there, like like sort of Bodicea or Boudica, actually, (laughs) on a war horse. Yes, charging at something or other. Um, Enough of this. Have you got a good book recommendation for us this week, please? We're desperate for one. I have, and it's probably a little bit in the line of um, nights and jousting. Um, it's mm. Bring Up the Bodies by Hilary Mantel. Um, oh, yeah. And, oh, oh, it is divine. I love it. Um, I find that Hilary Mantel is, is at her best when she's inhabiting a world. Um, she's, not, she's not so strong on plot, but she is great at in the nuances of character the strains people are under um mm. the warmth of humanity um bring up the bodies is is basically the the um the story of how thomas cromwell has to find a way to get rid of anne boleyn that's going to suit uh, henry VIII's purposes and it's it is beautifully done and there are there are plenty of events that you already know about you, you know she's going to get her head chopped off you know that there are certain things she says about only having a little neck because there have been films where this has been done before but Hilary Mantel makes all of it so new and vivid and tragic and um, it's like spending time in the company of someone who is extremely interesting it's mm. a gorgeous read that will be our Andy probably um, and for anybody who hasn't actually read any of her work yet she's kind of like what well, if you like this you'd like that Give us a sort of a comparator. Oh gosh, now you've put me on the spot because I've seen mm. another. I'll get paid for it. I'll get paid to do it. There's nobody quite like <laughs> Hillary. There's nobody quite like her. That's it. Uh-huh. Yes. Fair enough. Um, yeah. She's, and she's tackled all sorts of subjects. She did a, the first novel of hers I read was called Beyond Black, which tackled spiritual charlatans, which was quite a different kind of area. Um, and um, there, everything was completely made up. So her plotting was not that good, but the characters and the environment—it was just such a pleasure to spend time with her. Yeah. And um, first book. So if if somebody wants to get into Hillary, what's the best book to suggest? Oh, Wolf Hall. Wolf Hall. Yeah, I thought you said that. Exactly. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you very much, Roz. Oh, look! (laughs) Ah, 
That's what a seagull is. Tell everybody what the seagulls are, Andy. Come on, you're dying to. I know you are. Well, everyone knows. Certainly, it's Brian Hedlalbian. We, we, we had a brilliant new new draw uh, yesterday, um, which my dad was quite a little bit. But, you know, we're, we're doing nice. well. We beat Liverpool and Tottenham in the last few weeks. Fantastic. But I'm sure you know that already, so. Well, I didn't, actually, but uh, I do now. Andy, apart from the seagulls, what's been enthusing you this week, especially as far as reading is concerned? To be honest, if I was going to um, recommend anything right now, there's a new Adam Curtis documentary on the BBC iPlayer, and I think he is just fantastic. I oh, am. Yeah. And I recommend yeah. everyone watches that. Um, yeah. I watched the first one on, on Friday night, and I'm still decompressing, but it's just brilliant, just brilliant. Hmm. Tell every, tell people, you know, what what does Curtis do? Adam Curtis, I think he might live in in like the archives of the BBC, and he just creates yeah. these these documentary films, these documentary series that cover quite quite polluting, broad subjects, but in this yeah. incredibly personal, weird, personal stories way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's done one called the one uh, I call out with a million to one called. Um, Oh, it was all about Silicon Valley and, and mm. the, the the psychology behind Silicon Valley, and it was all it's called "All Watched Over by Machines of Love and Grace." His titles are, are brilliant. Oh, isn't, uh, isn't that yeah. a terrific title? It's a very unusual use of television, actually. I mean, if if you haven't seen a Curtis documentary so far, you should just see it just to see yeah. how television can be used. He's a very lucky guy, I think, to be able to use television in a sort of a, an essay way. Yeah, so that's that's a great recommendation. But I know you've got a book for us, and what is it? Yes, so I went into my uh, bookshelves and I was looking for something romantic, it being uh, Valentine's Day. I found absolutely nothing, but I did find lots of 90s throwback books. Um, okay. The one I've chosen is 253. Um, if, if you live in London, and I did live in London at the time this came out, there are some beautiful moments when you're on the underground reading a book and you look across and there's other people reading the same book as you on the underground this had the added benefit is that it was about people on the underground it's such a great wow. great concept and i think it i haven't read it since and and this did it was actually born out of the internet 1.0 and then on the back of it it says this is the full text of the celebrated interactive novel that started on the web when it first went online only it can't crash the downloading time is quicker and you can read it on the tube train bus or plane and it's, it's so smart. Basically, every page is a different yeah. character on the I tube love train. I love the idea already. I, I'll tell you something. If you, if you watch uh, the way that YouTube has been developing, over lockdown, there's a sort of little sub-genre of live videos of people just travelling, doing the morning commute course it's completely empty mm. or getting on the 24 bus doing the morning commute and they get hundreds of thousands of viewers because obviously people they complain about the northern line but they miss it isn't that amazing i miss the northern there line. you go great two amazing guests today i think it's going to be a heck of a show and two great books from them make a priority submission at priority.latopia.com yes please do it'll help you It'll help us as well. Now then, let's see what we got up to last week. Now, these were the manuscripts you saw. Uh, the combined experts panel. We had two amazing experts last week as well, of course. Uh, Nick and Jamila. 
uh, and the Genius Room were actually split last week. It doesn't happen very much, but it did happen then. 70% of the vote going to Michael Rafto's Above the Clouds and the same vote going to KJ Bailey's A Handful of Souls. Great titles. But you, in the intervening six and a half days, you were not split at all. This is how you voted. Susanna didn't get any. Sorry, Susanna. John! No, didn't get any either. Michael got 71%. Oh. KJ, 14%. And that means that Carly, you're trusting in you, got 15%. A shocking result, really. Quite an amazing divergence from the way the expert panel and indeed the genius room felt. And that means, of course... Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Shall we see um, what's on the cards this week? Here we are. It's called The Belly of the Dragon. Will drip with water. It's hard sci-fi. Hard sci-fi. Military filler. Uh, filler. Thriller from Charlie Neal. Very, very nice short blurb. When a mysterious nuclear blast obliterates the peacetime status quo, four untested naval officers fight for their lives under varying personal concepts of honour as the fleets of two superpowers clash. Let me tell you about Charlie, our author. Charlie Neal is an exploration geologist and former naval officer who's switched from flying jets and manoeuvring warships into writing novels and studying how Earth has changed in deep time. Isn't that interesting? After six years at sea, he used the GI Bill to study astrobiology and professional writing. Great combination. Earning an MS and contributing to the instrument package for the Mars 2020 rover. Great credentials here. Charlie loves to write relentless set-piece action, building up remarkably tough characters, then pushing them to their breaking point and beyond. And that's, that's the area we want to get to, isn't it? It's the beyond area. So should we ask Robert, who will undoubtedly take us beyond? The first page. The belly of the dragon will drip with water. By Charlie. Read by Robert. Major Wu Li leaned back against the tilting panel of the truck cab as it squealed around a tight turn in Metro Tokyo traffic. He checked his gear for the thousandth time, reviewing everything from the Taiwanese brand batteries on his radio to the electrical tape over the pins of his hand grenades. The other eight soldiers watched, then copied him and checked their own equipment, squeezing each item with bloodless fingers. The last doubts fed from Lee's mind, and even his fear of death evaporated. Only fear of failure still grated across his raw nerves. The driver ripped into a handbrake turn, and tyres chirped a stuttering melody across the pavement. Lee's body was weightless for an instant, then the driver snapped out of the turn and popped the truck into reverse. Brace yourself! Lee yelled as he grabbed handles on the bench and stiffened his muscles to absorb the shock. The truck roared backwards, the tyres shrieked and filled the air with acrid smoke, and the packed lobby of the First International Bank and Trust grew huge in the tiny plastic windows set into the trailer door. The armoured box rammed through the glass, pulverising it into a million twinkling slivers, then cleaved deep into a marble column in the lobby. The bone-snapping jolt ripped Lee halfway off the bench, and the truck 
groaned to a halt. Reeling, he reached for a shielded switch on the wall and then clicked the circuit closed. Shaped charges transformed the reinforced steel trailer doors into lethal shrapnel that scythed across the room, bisecting a dozen patrons before embedding quivering into the marble walls. Lee and his team poured out into the blood-soaked lobby, squeezing off quick bursts from their M4A1s at the guards who remained standing. In his peripheral vision, Lee saw a tall, bull-chested man sprint from the teller's counter toward the vault stairs. Lee hurdled the counter and rushed after him, wondering if the bank manager was as dangerous as the briefing had described him. He hoped so. If the man was not dangerous, then he was not Mossad. And if he was not Mossad, then the entire operation was already a catastrophe. A burst of submachine gun fire slashed out from the stairway and grazed Lee's head, slicing open his cheek and snipping his ear in half, and he gasped and dropped to his knees. Lieutenant Wong rushed to him and dragged him behind cover, but Lee shoved the lieutenant, angrier at himself than his second-in-command. That snapshot answers the Mossad question, Lee thought. Even after months of drills, Lee had doubted Agent Ramsey's information, doubted that the man was even a CIA agent and not a provocateur from some Arab state looking to goad the People's Liberation Army into pointless atrocity. Those doubts were dripping away faster than the blood from his ear. Lee stood and wiped the blood from his face and then cleared the path to the stairs. Below, the Mossad agent had ducked inside the vault and was straining to tug the huge door shut. Lee hip-fired his M203 at the locking pins, then dove down the stairs. The 40mm grenade exploded in the door jam and the 20-ton vault door screeched back open. Lee staggered to his feet, swallowing to still the hammering reverberations in his eardrums while the rest of his team ran down the stairs toward the vault. Through the ringing in his ears, Lee heard the sirens from the street. Two of his team paused at the top of the stairs and unleashed streams of machine gun fire back to the lobby. Wong leaned in next to Lee behind the smoke-scorched vault door. The Xville truck is here with the retrieval crane, Major. Setting up now. Six minutes till squad arrives. Lee nodded, then rolled around the corner of the vault door, scanning the vault from behind his gun sight. Piled bundles of yuan lined the vault, and ingots of gold gleamed on the shelves. Lee sidestepped away from the door, sweeping the muzzle across the room and ignoring the fortune in gold and specie. Not entirely sure what species is, actually. I'm sure somebody will tell me in the, in the genius room. Uh, hey, Charlie Neal, thank you very much. Fantastic. Charlie, nice to have you along live uh, on YouTube with us. Uh, let's just see what the genius room is saying. Uh, lots and lots of commentary on the uh, on the action. Um, good action, feels a bit OTT, uh, decent bit of action, um, says Johnny to begin with, and then he's kind of going off the action. Um, Robert is is with us in the chat room. Always like to hear from our narrators because they see it in a different way uh, from inside, really. I like that it jumps straight into the action, says Robert. It's a very cinematic opening, and that's what several other people have said. Unfortunately, there's no sense of character or stakes. Who is Major Lee? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Why should we care about him? Why is he doing this? Whose side should we be on? Why should we care? Um, very much so. What belly of dragon will drip with water is navy jargon for the presumably inevitable fleet action between China and the US Navy. Ooh, interesting. An impending catastrophe. 
Let's ask Ross for her first reactions, please. Scribbling notes like mad. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I agree that it's it's full of action, and that's that's absolutely right for, for this sort of thriller. However, um, there was no SF, and it promises to be a science fiction thriller. So I think you've got to have something in there that, that promises we're going to see this is going to be connected with some amazing device or invention or something like that there's it, it could have been any military thriller and it could have been it's a bit generic if, yeah. yeah yes um although it's 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 punchily written um several people seem to be saying that they they didn't really find that they were getting hooked and i think that might be because um we don't have any sense of the mm. difficulty of what they're doing if you had that in then it that would make us think oh, it might fail but at, at the moment it, it seems to be just quite a lot of someone gets shot someone um yeah. breaks all, all that sort of thing yeah. so you, you need a little bit more to make us curious about whether what they're doing will work um you don't necessarily have to know the the characters from page one in this but you have to know more why what they're doing is very difficult i think um yeah. several people have mentioned the title sorry mm -hmm. <laughs> like a machine gun um, <laughs> several people have mentioned the title and i thought it was rather lovely and poetic but i can imagine that um that publishers and cover designers will say it really is quite long and it would be quite hard to remember Mm. although it's it's lovely and i can see why charlie called it that but mm. um a different title might be more helpful yeah yeah i'm i'm 75 percent in favor of the title but i i think there are it's not quite memorable enough it doesn't quite cross that hurdle if it was a real fishing hook in your brain title you just can't get rid of it then i i wouldn't care i couldn't care if it's two lines three lines five lines long that would be great with me but it's not quite sticking there but roz um charlie's with us live now which is fantastic we always like that um and major lee he's just told us has only got two pages to live now i've seen a lot of manuscripts like this and they like, typically they, they are action manuscripts and they start off with some two-dimensional character who you don't care about at all and they get killed after two pages three pages four pages five pages and we don't really care do you recommend this as an opening um i think it needs a bit more of the science fiction in there because okay. science fiction fans will be saying where where am i getting my science fiction from here yeah 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 okay fair enough andy first reactions please yeah i've got to admit i, I forgot it was sci-fi um and and as it was as it was going on i was thinking okay how do i relate to this because this this isn't the kind of book i read although i've watched many many films and enjoyed lots of films like this yeah so i think on the one hand you're i think it's the second batman film which starts with the joke of robin the bank and that is just so tense and so action orientated and, and so good and i think you had a lot of that on the other hand when, when you got to the bit where it's like he hit, he hit fired his m203 at the locking pins i'm like okay that's so macho action we're, we're yeah. we, we could be here veering towards 18 territory there so i, yeah. I would be wary at those points um if it, i'm not sure what hard sci-fi is but certainly this, this was it wasn't very sci-fi as, as Roz has, has said and it was very macho um you've got a great blurb i thought uh, what a life you've had as well in your description fantastic. absolutely yeah, yeah. And i thought it's a fantastic opening 
Um, when you the bit about electrical tape over the hand grenade pins, I just thought, oh, brilliant! I love that. You know, yeah, Charlie's I, done I, this I'm before, suddenly, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah, I'm suddenly there with you, Dan. That that's quite you know, there, There's tension. Um, the the stuttering melody of the tires, all good. Um, the bit with I, I think the charges that rams the window and then charges obliterated. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there, but you had created such great momentum and action. I was involved anyway. And then when you had him think about, oh, you know, cause, could this operation be a tra- tragedy or not? I actually, I, I did, I cared for the character. I thought, you know, yeah, good. I, I, you I, got I, invested. I, great. Well, that's, yeah, that's very good. good. That's very good. So we've got, got a, sp- a slight split there already. I have to say I agree with Ros. I wasn't, I wasn't invested. It feels, it feels like a generic a- action sequence to me, actually. Um, and, you know, we do have to get invested quite soon. The clunk click, as I like to call it, which is very Tom, went to Tom Clancy territory, aren't we, really? Um, the clunk click does work for a lot of readers they do want to know the technical aspects of stuff they want to know even even if it's sci-fi even if it doesn't really exist they still want to know exactly how it works that's very important very major ingredient in tom clancy writing um just out of interest i I can tell you something i was talking to the publisher of a major author in this genre no names no pack drills and i just kind of assumed that the majority of readership would be male very much into the technology and the sort of gung-ho aspect and they said so i'm not even giving away their agenda they said absolutely not they said we've done you know lots of market research into this and actually the the majority of the book buyers are female we have a higher than usual um readership amongst males but still the majority of book buyers are female interesting fact possibly arguing in favor of getting more invested in the characters the first few pages are absolutely vital for you, Charlie. If you don't show what's so different about this manuscript to publishers in the first few pages, then they probably will will skip it, actually. Um, and we are dealing with very well-trod territory here, so don't make it a generic opening. You've got to be just... I always say this, I've said it many times before, so excuse me if you've heard it before, but you've, you've got to be half a step in front not a whole pace but just half a step in front of everybody else and that's enough just to make it to give you that usb to you to give you that difference um and i have found out thank you very much robert what spec is apparently it's cash that's great so coming back to you ros you've got to give us some numbers here out of what Oh, I thought, I'm sorry, you're such an old hand at this. I thought you'd... We've got one to five. Five is the absolute maximum best possible score. One is uh, not so good. Three, because I think there's a lot that could be improved, but it's okay. it's very competently done. And yep. I do like the assertiveness of that title. There's something there that is quite there is. strong. There is. Yes, mm. there is. absolutely there is. Yes, it, it kind of grows on me, actually. That title does. It does grow on me. Andy, please. Numbers? Um, I would be slap bang on three and a half, I must admit, if I was... Well, really you can't do that. <laughs> um, I do think it was, it was nicely written. And, you know, I'm a sucker for this kind of generic thing on a Friday night if it's on the telly yeah. and I've had a few people. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. Oh, yes! I knew you were going... Once once Ross said three, I knew you were going to go for four. I'm going to go for three at the moment, because it, it's a slightly too generic. Charlie says, um, 
he would have given the first chapter. It, that's too long for a prologue in any case. You know I hate prologues. Prologues are almost unnecessary. Make, if you've got to have a prologue, make it short, sharp, punchy to the point and, and be done with it. But yeah, I think first chapter would have been a lot better. Thank you very much. Um, I think we should... Um, let's just look at the, uh, the scoreboard now, shall we? Very curious to know what the chat room's done. Uh, 65 in general. Now that really is not a bad start. You could end up winning today, actually, Charlie. You could do. Perhaps not, if Kay has anything to do with it. Kay's, thank you, Charlie. Uh, Kay sent in tipping point. It's speculative fiction. And she's got a website there. QR code. You can go to it. Kay would like you to. We'd like you to. This is Kay's blurb, Liverpool, England, 2055. 20 years after climate breakdown and the third... Oh, don't say this. I feel so depressed already. The third coronavirus pandemic. The country remains locked down under the new governance with direct rule from China. Oh, I say. Do I detect a theme today? Megan has been detained in a disabled home under the Right to Care Act. That's an interesting sort of <laughs> government euphemism. You've got the language right there. And her sister, Sylvie, is dead. Sylvie's boyfriend, Jay, the youngest son of an elite family, is about to break the law. Can Megan persuade him to undertake one more illegal act that will change their lives and their world forever? All right, let me tell you about Kay. Um, I live in Liverpool with my two cats, lovely and precious. <laughs> you, should, you should have had them on the show, actually. We, we frequently have animals on. Um, I'm a social scientist with a number of non-fiction publications, including three books, but my passion is fiction, especially the kind of work that makes us think and feel differently about the world we inhabit. Like it. Previously, when I lived in Dublin, I had a short story published and broadcast on Irish national radio. I'm currently on a career break, writing fiction, teaching Pilates, probably via YouTube, I suspect, at the moment, and working on environmental and disability rights issues. I wonder if those two are related somehow. Um, this sounds fascinating, intriguing, maybe slightly Orwellian, actually. I don't know. Shall we ask Emily to give us our very best narration? The first page. Tipping Point by Kay. Read by Emily. Jay checked his phone. 13.55. Friday, April 2nd, 2055. He leaned back against the doorway. His heart was racing already. He could see most of the length of Bowl Street sloping away from him and people milling about. There were one or two people he recognised a little further down the street, but otherwise it looked normal. He hoped they all showed up. He hoped the journalist would show up too, but he knew it was a risk for her if it was obvious that she'd been tipped off and hadn't informed the police. She'd said she would try and take a late lunch so she could just happen to be in one of the cafes when it kicked off. Another part of him hoped it wouldn't. Maybe everyone would lose their nerve. There hadn't been a demo since he was a child and this was hardly an issue that was going to get much public support. His parents would be horrified if they knew what he was doing and he had no idea what the police response would be but he was pretty sure it would be grim. It was amazing they had managed to organise it at all. They were just a ragtag group who had been on nothing more than nodding terms before this. 
shamed rather than allied by their association. They'd only bonded when they were confronted with the horror of the flood. No one had been informed about what had happened, so everyone had just turned up for their weekly visit, only to be met by a roadblock with water lapping around it. They had each stopped in turn, staring, stunned at the water in front of them, imagining what must lie behind. That was how they got talking to each other. Shocked, grief-stricken and enraged, People had started discreetly swapping contact details and one or two had gone back every day so they could connect with as many of the others as possible. They monitored themselves carefully, passing on the role of contact person every couple of days and making sure that at least one person always left the roadblock as soon as the tenth arrived so there was never any reason for police intervention. The police watched them anyway, but they didn't seem to know what they were doing. There were about 40 of them altogether, and they had divided themselves up into groups of eight so that the two people could circulate through all the groups, sharing and discussing the plans. They had met at one another's houses. Ten strangers meeting up in a public place might attract attention, even though it was still within the legal limit for a public gathering. In just a few meetings, they had agreed the plan and committed to making it happen today, exactly three weeks after the flood. For the first time, Jay wondered if it was too soon. Maybe they had all been just carried along by their shock and grief without really stopping to think about the enormity of what they were doing or the consequences of it. But he was there now and it was too late to back out of it. He stared down the street. In less than five minutes the scene below him would be completely transformed and he would be in the middle of it. They'd chosen Bowl Street because it was narrow and that meant they would make an impact even if there was only a few of them brave enough to actually do it. It would also be hard to get big police vehicles up there. But Bowl Street had also once been famed for its independent shops, its basements pulsing with political activism and a vibrant alternative art scene. Although after Covid-35 and the New Deal with China that had bailed out pretty much every business and organisation in the country, there wasn't much difference between any of them anymore. Superficial differences, yes, giving the illusion of consumer choice. But really, everything had the same message the same quality, the same content. He wondered if they were mad. It really was very risky. They all had a lot to lose. Sorry about that. I was thinking hard, actually, which I guess is a tribute to the writing. I was thinking, I was thinking, hmm... I was thinking about what what made me stop and just lose sense of track uh, and time was COVID-35. I was thinking to myself, oh, <laughs> Andy, do you think we want a, a COVID-35 novel? I don't know. Sadly, no, I don't think we do. Um, I do think I'd be interested in a novel that's about Liverpool in 2055. But mm. that, I thought, well, that was the first line of the blog. I thought, oh, great, are they still banging on about the Beatles? You know, is Klopp still there? <laughs> you know, are they still... <laughs> are uh, they going to win the Premier League? But, but genuinely, I mean, you know, I'd be interested in, in, in knowing what the future was in Liverpool. Why not Liverpool? I haven't seen a, a, you know, a science fiction story based in, in Liverpool before. So, so I, I like that. 20 years after climate breakdown, pandemic and China, I was a bit, mm, you know, it's, it's yeah. so kind of like these are current topics. Let's yeah. put these current topics in play and then figure yeah. out the future. Yeah. And I'm, it's you know, not quite what I'm looking for, I, I would say that, in a speculative uh, novel. Um, putting the time and, and date in the first line, I'm not 
I think that's a little bit obvious for me. It's, um, and there's an awful lot of info dumping going on here. Um, mm. Lots of technical backstory. It, it, it's it's you know, well enough written, beautifully uh, read. Um, but yeah, there, there's going to be a demonstration and the main character is, is doing lots of second guessing about the, the, the rights of whether they should be doing it or not. That, that's the good stuff. That's what I'm interested in. The, the, the backstory of all the things that's happened going up till now, the flood. I need to catch up with who you are and where you are in the present, I think, before yeah. I'm going to be properly engaged in what you've been through. Yeah, it's a bit of a briefing, isn't it? We're finding the genius room uh, never wrong, always right. Uh, we can get it wrong sometimes. They don't. Um, Steve C says, lots of exposition. There is uh, Johnny, big chunks of scene and mood setting, but not gripping. Either too many details, nothing that strikes me as important. Uh, Jethro has joined the room. Oh, gosh, I'm with his combine harvester. He's been away a long time. Um, Kate says, distancing effect to a large extent because it's all being told, not shown. One of your basic rules there. Um, I'm out, I'm afraid, says Georgina. Yeah, so there seems to be a generally sort of general view there that there's, I guess, what would you say, Roz, the writer is kind of writing themselves into it? Um, I think it's an, it seems to be like an early draft in, in that there's a lot of material there that will be very useful mm. as it, it could now be presented in a stronger way. Um, I think someone in, in the chat room actually said that if it started at, um, at the moment where there's someone looking at this flood and and they gradually start talking to each other and they've never spoken to each other before and something yeah. starts from there that yeah. would be far more gripping yeah. using exactly the same material so there's a lot yeah. of very plausible stuff there yeah and there's, there's a real depth of, of knowledge and understanding of this world mm. so i would start with that and oh, i'm giving a cup of um, yeah, oh, you lucky that. thing, and you. I thought that was the horse in the next room, actually. <laughs> but, so use what use what you've got and write a draft starting with that, and you might find mm. it all really comes to life. Because the, yes. there's, there's a lot of hard and good work that's already been done. And there's some lovely mm. phrases. I did really like that, that phrase, imagining what must lie behind. There's, a, there's a, yeah. an interesting sensibility at, at work here. just needs a little bit more work but um yeah it's not far off okay well it's very encouraging i think that's that's, that's a very perspicacious of course as we would expect nothing less from you Ross. uh give us a number um three uh, three all right fair enough um now thingies that we did have didn't we last week actually interesting with with um uh, Nick Cheatham, um, boss of Head of Zeus. We did kind of have this discussion a bit about COVID uh, as themes of books. And obviously, there are going to be enormous amounts of books uh, with COVID as themes. How we get into that uh, from, from here, we're not really out of COVID yet. I don't know. Um, and I think it's fair to say that both Nick and Jamila last week were not madly keen on the idea of COVID as a theme, even though, I, as, as I remember, it was um, a kind of a romance relationship book. Um, so maybe it's slightly too early. I don't know. Andy, a number, please. I'm going to go three as well. Three as well. Okay. I'm not going to go as high as that because I think that, um, it's, I think you're writing yourself in actually, Kane. I think Roz is right. This, this got, it's got a first draft feel of it. There are, you know, chunks of gold in there, definitely, but it's not quite expressed enough at the moment. So I'm going to be realistic. Oh. 
hate it when people are realistic. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's see what the numbers look like. Okay. So it's fifty percent and sixty-five percent. So there's still plenty of headroom, actually. Yes, plenty of headroom. So let's see what our next submission is. And it's from Matthew Doc Vargo. That's a name I remember. You've been on before, haven't you, Doc? Yes, you have. And uh, which is always great, actually. It's lovely when we get people coming back. Um, it's fantasy. It's the seventh day. And this is Doc's blurb. Set in a mythic universe of angels, demons, and quantum physics. The seventh day is a brisk and exciting adventure story, but it also addresses deeper themes of free will, free will, destiny, class, and ultimately, even the meaning of life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't help but think of Monty Python. Um, let me tell you about Doc. While The Seventh Day would be my first published novel, he says, I have been writing seriously for 15 years. My latest short horror story was recently published in the Broken Rules Publishing Horror Magazine. And my science fiction novella, Prey, will be featured in the June 2021 issue of After Dinner Conversations. Get your order in now. Several of my scripts have been made into short films. Away from writing, I'm a successful composer and songwriter fantastic okay so let's see if jeff would kindly read it will you jeff will you thank you the first page the seventh day by matthew dark varga read by jeff a snake in the grass an instant a moment so fine he could dance on an atom a choice that is all it took to bring existence to its knees while you are of the flesh and i am not Inside, we are the same. We are both the tools of a madman, pushed by his will, subjugated, bound. I had my instant, my choice, that has long since passed, but now you have yours. Take this fruit and eat it. Inside is knowledge and power beyond your comprehension. Secrets that will unravel the universe and make it bend to your will. Mysteries that will allow you to become the creators of your own life. I will not lie to you, as he did to us. This power does not come without consequence. It will precipitate the garden's decline. It will bring the bitter cold of winter to make brittle the trees that offer you shelter. You will watch as the world rots and withers along with your bones and body. You will forsake your immortality and know death. But, but you will also know life. Knowledge of creation is the knowledge to create. You will come together and bear children who will, in their turn, bear children of their own. They will explore a universe teeming with possibilities. Where we had one great choice to make, they will have thousands. Before that, let me tell you a story. One I hope will help you understand. One I hope will help you forgive me. One I hope will help you realise why I want you to forsake your duty and turn your back on God forever. Chapter 1 Michael sped across the universe to answer his father's call. Space debris passed through his body. His glowing blue armour flashed kaleidoscopically as he engaged meteors, planets and the simmering suns. He pushed himself faster. The chariot wasn't far now. He slowed as God's chariot appeared in the distance. He saw the bright red trail of Samel, his closest friend, 
who also sped to answer God's call, even though Samuel was the least radiant of the archangels. Michael had long sensed a tiny hole in Samuel that had never quite healed. Now, as he approached the chariot, Michael spun, sending out a flash of light, and Samuel returned the greeting. As Michael rode the gravity well of a giant gas planet, the chariot of God came into view. The five thrones, angels of the first sphere, and the largest beings in the universe next to God himself appeared. Rotating slowly, the giant wheels erupted with enough fire and light to make the stars disappear behind their radiance. Their thousands of spokes were each covered with millions of eyes which scanned the universe in unison, a beautiful symmetry that propelled the chariot through space and time. At its head, Nathaniel urged the thrones forward, guiding them with the lightning from his eyes and the crack of his electric blue whip. The universe quaked with the throne's power and Michael fought to maintain his flight path. He waved to Nathaniel out of politeness, but expected no reply. The chariot's driver was usually too focused to notice anything around him. Nathaniel's whip was one of the few tools created for angels outside their armour and helmets, and it allowed him to communicate and command the mighty thrones, despite him being a principality of the third sphere. Michael smiled to himself to remember Gabriel once begging Nathaniel for a chance to drive the chariot. To surprise the archangels, Nathaniel had acquiesced to Gabriel's persistence, and the archangel had taken the whip and driven the chariot for a full rotation. It took hours for Michael to pass the first of the thrones. His almost uncountable eyes saw all and some watched him as he passed. He was desperate to hear the will of his father, but the thrones were too fascinatingly complex to simply speed past. Instead, he soaked in their raging fire and listened as their explosions sang together in a beautiful chorus. (laughs) So... Most people were commenting on Jeff's reading, I think. <laughs> Kate, says, Kate says, Jeff is the voice of God. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> what a reading. Wow. Wow. I can't, I don't think I can detach myself, uh, detach the reading from the, um, the words, actually. Roz, help me out. <laughs> yes. Um, I felt it, it was beautifully written. Um, he's got a, a lovely ear. Uh, and great to have Doc in his name too, E. Doc Smith. Um, but I found everything a bit abstract altogether. Mm. Um, the blurb was abstract. It didn't tell me what, what kind of people I'd be reading about, what kind of trouble they were going to get into. What, um, and I felt that with the the prologue and I was relieved when we got to chapter one I thought oh here we have some people who are doing something so I'll be mm. able to, to get a grip on, on what the world is and what, what's going on but yeah. very soon that just became quite samey it was it was like yeah, a, um, one of those a piece of music really that that was never going to develop a strong um, hook <laughs> that's what it made me think yeah. of um, this beautiful writing that he, he's got a real vision there of something and I, and I, I love the way yeah. he's addressing the reader and the prologue to start with but it just never seemed to really get started or amount to anything yeah yeah this is one of those extremely rare actually the first time ever uh occasions when i'm going to say i, I preferred the prologue to the um the the meat and the sandwich or the veggie burger and the sandwich um and you're not going to hear me say that very very much um so, Roz, it's it's going to be impossible, I think, but uh, can you give this um, some numbers? Um, 
it's a three in, in a different way to the, the threes before and I think, that, I think the writing the writing was really good um, and not that the others weren't but um, it needs it needs quite a bit more done to it I think mm, but, yeah. but it's, a, but it's yeah. Yeah, I want to give a five to, to Jeff for the reading, but we don't do that because all our readers are amazing in any case. Um, but that one really did stick um, in, in the mind. So, Andy, this is unusual piece of work, this. What did you, what did you feel? Peter, it may not surprise you to learn that I love this because it was completely oh. wrong because we and why the heck <laughs> do you love it? Um, angel, uh, angel, you had me to be honest, angels, demons and quantum physics. Very so, yeah, brilliant, we'll win. Sadly, after that, I don't think you really gave us a blurb. I, I expect a blurb to tell me something of what the plot is, and, and you, didn't, you didn't do yeah. that, so that was a shame. I thought you had a lovely opening line. Unfortunately, I was too busy con concentrating on Jeff's voice. To yeah, write down I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was a lovely opening line there. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, I mean, as a, as a Christian who kind of comes to my faith partly through the story of, of Adam and Eve in the garden. I thought having a prologue where you've got the, the serpent talking to Adam and Eve was, was brilliant. I loved it. I thought it was really, really intriguing. Really, really nicely, nicely done. I didn't Obviously, get it was the serpent. I didn't see it was the serpent, actually. Where, how did you get that? Because um, it's the serpent trying to convince Adam or Adam slash Eve to right, eat the apple. Right, fine. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Doc, but, but that's what I got from anyway. Yeah. So I thought that was lovely. It's glad it was a prologue. And then we're with Michael riding the gravity well in his chariot. And I mean, it was so fun. Um, and I didn't have a clue what was going on. No. But I just, I just enjoyed it. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, All right. And chariots and gravity wells and black holes and he's longing to get to God. And, well, you, you, know, you saw one, one copy here, Doc. Copy. Definitely. Uh, give us a number then, Andy. Um, it's a four for me. Oh, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. You're enthusing. I was even, uh, my finger for a moment was even poised over the five. I'm not going to go that far. I can't, I don't, the blurb doesn't really identify the market to me, Doc. Um, I don't know how you're going to treat this at all, really. I've got a few quite exciting sentences in the, in the prologues. <laughs> oh, wash my mouth out with uh, soap and water. Um... But I don't know where it's going. And Doc is with us. A snake in the garage. Snake in the garage. says yes, but probably not explicit enough. Okay. Appreciate all the feedback. Thank you very much, Doc. So I'm going to go two at the moment in terms of what I'm, I can see. I can only judge the words in front of me. That's probably going to be counterbalanced by Andy's enthusiasm. And the genius room is wholly behind you, Roz. Uh, you you took the words out of their mouth actually. So you're kind of a bellwether for the popular sentiment it seems to me you get Roz on your side you've got an instant bestseller let's see what the, the score is just over halfway through oh it's going to be tight again isn't it yeah it's between 50 60 and 65 all to play for actually at the moment let's have a word with Roz be nice to let's catch up with with life in your world Roz what's going on you've got a book coming out soon I believe here we are it's not a, not a new website, is it? But it's uh, it's looking quite autumnal. Actually, you change the the picture every season. Uh, the the very clever WordPress fairies change it. Um, if you go to another page, you'll get a different picture. Oh, so, that's yeah. lovely. That's lovely. 
yeah. So what's, and um, we yes, got another, I'm, yeah, go on. I'm working on, yes, um, I finished my third novel at the end of last autumn, and yeah. um, I'm now um, preparing to launch it in June, so. This is, this is my, my mem memories of a future life, right? No, that, that one's actually out. That, oh, that's been out oh, for quite a few years. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Naughty Peter, sorry. Got very, very, very confused. Um, so that's coming out this this year, though, isn't it? No, no, it's not. What's coming out in June? Um, Tell us. So the one that's coming out in June is called Ever Rest. So that's like, it's like the mountain. Um, and okay, it, there's right. quite a bit yeah. of it set on the mountain. Um, yeah. And um, it's... I'm, I haven't really rehearsed yet how to tell people about it. So oh. I, I'm well, you, you can do it now. Thing. Do it now. Do it live in front of our audience. Ever right, rest. Well, two words. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, let's, let's have the pitch. Two words. It's, um, I got the idea because I thought, what if there was a man who fell into a glacier and no one could get him, but the, the people who are very close to him know he's still there. So he's kind of creeping back to them through mm. the years as the glacier mm. moves. Mm, as and, it melts and moves um, towards them, inexorably moving towards them. Yeah, yes, and, they, and they get creeped out more and more. I love it. I love it. I get the sort idea of, straight away. It's sort of creepy, but it's it's also about lost loves and um, old friendships and people who um, are still bound to each other by an absolutely remarkable time because the, the guy mm. who fell into a glacier was uh, one half of a songwriting duo, very famous songwriting duo at the time. <sighs> and um, so his music keeps him alive for everybody, whether they want him kept alive or not. And this just adds to the difficulty for people to move on. Yeah, and, and it's, it's got a contemporary uh, climate change aspect as well. What's not to like? Yeah. Also music, because yeah. everybody, we all have a song that tells us who we were when we were 18. Oh, we and do, yes. that yes. is about the time when um, this yeah. happened. The characters were very young. Yeah. And there are three people who are still sort of caught up with this guy. And they need to somehow move on. And it all needs to come to a resolution before they can ever rest. Well, I think, oh, you tied it up nicely there. You've done this before. That wasn't, that wasn't your first time pitching this, was it? It was. Was it? Oh, she's, a pro. she's a real pro. Let's see what's going on with your other identity, your other hat on. Nail your novel. This is where you, you act basically as a writer's muse, isn't it? Yes, that's my writing blog. I just yeah. write about um, yeah. anything that's going on in my writing world. And that post you saw there, I was interviewing somebody about music because I've, I've always been very influenced by, by music in my writing. Mm. It, it kind of just tells me stories, tells me characters. I, I use it to hold a moment steady so that I can really inhabit it and get all the truth out of it. And then I discovered that other writers did this too, so I started a series that I call The Undercover Soundtrack. Oh, nice. talk about what was sort of going on between them and a piece of music that led them to write their book. And this is the latest interview I've got in that series. As I know, what did Noel Card say? The power of... Uh, the, 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 oh, I'm going to mangle it. You should never try uh, uh, to quote Noel Coward from memory, but something about the power of, of, of cheap music. The cheap music, as he, as he said. The extraordinary power. Um, as as a muse... You don't, you don't mind me calling you a muse? You could call me a muse. I'm amused. 
she's a muse. Um, as a muse, I mean, uh, how do you find the development process working with writers? I love it. I'm working with a, a writer at the moment who's been struggling to make a novel out of something that happened in her family's past. Oh. And she wrote to me and said, I really, really want to make this into a novel, but I don't want it to be a historical novel. I don't want it to be a, a family saga. I don't want it to be a this. I don't want it to be a that. Will you help me? So I've been having one-to-one -one sessions with her and it's really rewarding. We, I'm kind of being like an analyst or a, a sort yeah. of book whisperer, getting out of her what she wants identifying the, the the real truth that she's getting at and um, we're now having little breakthroughs every time and it's it's very rewarding because I can see this book is now coming to life and that's great fun yeah I, I think that's a great turn of phrase actually the book whisperer if somebody hasn't already used it get the dot com quick actually because that because <laughs> that's, that's 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 a bit better than being a muse because quite a few muses around but book whisperer absolutely right it's it's a real thrill and a privilege to work with the right person though isn't it actually to you know to, to right from the beginning of a project right all the way through to hopefully bestseller status i mean it's it's the, it's the best thing in the world. Writers are unusual people. They see the world in a different way. Sometimes difficult people to get on with. Do you have, ever have any problems um, on, a, on a sort of communication basis with, with clients? Um, what I find is I I try and understand where they're coming from, what they want and mm. what they don't want and what they fear. And um, usually, I usually I get on with them pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and even if the manuscript seems to be a disaster, um, it's not actually because there's a huge amount that they've done very well already. Mm. And I actually wrote a post about this on my Nail Your Novel blog once. I called it, why your editor admires you and why you may not realise this. Because when you work with a, a writing professional, uh, whether it's an editor or an agent, they are likely to come back with a lot of criticisms. That's, all, that's right. Those. That's right. I get so fed up of that, actually. People must think I'm just Mr. Negative. You know, and I have to mm. remind myself sometimes, say something nice. If you enjoyed, if you if you found something really worked, say that. But no, you're absolutely right. Um, pe people in, in my side of the desk, we, we do. We just underline things, don't we? Mm, yes, mm. and it's it really having having been on the receiving end of a thoroughly good editing myself. Mm. I know that you know you really do feel a bit battered sometimes. Yes. yes. So um, part yes. of my job, I feel, is to also tell them the teacher doesn't just tell you what you're doing wrong; they tell you what you do right, and yeah. they tell you how to yeah. build on your own strengths. Very important. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Just get yeah. just get get your, yourself into the book and your best out of it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think that's such a, a good, enlightened approach. Uh, we could talk forever uh, with Ros Morris, the book whisperer. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, but we've got two more submissions to look at. Let's do that, shall we? This is number four today. It's YA from Riley. Hello, Riley. QR code there. It takes time. It takes time, says Riley. That is the title. And this is Riley's blurb. Lane Reed is only sure of one thing. She wants to do something that matters in her life. And she definitely wants to move out of her parents' house. When Lane downloads a history app, she doesn't expect to meet and fall in love with a 70s BC gladiator named Gannicus. She really doesn't expect to learn that Gannicus and the others on the app are enslaved by the app's creator in a human trafficking scheme that spans centuries. Whether she's prepared or not, it's up to Lane 
to save them. How interesting. Gladiator take two. Um, now, let me tell you about Riley. Uh, I'm a recent graduate with a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism. I worked as the opinions editor at my university's newspaper and was nominated for an Associated Collegiate Press Best of Show Award. Best of Show Award. That sounds a bit like sort of a dog show or something. They should change the name of that to suitably honour you, I think. Um, I'm also currently a member of the Writers of Kern. Lane Story is my first novel. Fantastic. This is um, an extraordinary piece of work. I have no doubt whatever, so we should necessarily perforce hear from Kate. The first page. The Seventh Day by Matthew Dog. It Takes Time by Riley. Read by Kate. The horde would not settle down at once. A sense of helpless frustration rose in my voice as I repeatedly requested and then demanded quiet. As soon as I got the front few rows to stop talking, I'd have to move to the back and lose the front all over again. How could I allow a ten-year-old to get the best of me? Well, to be fair, there wasn't one ten-year-old, there were twenty-six. A full fourth-grade class of kids, determined to talk amongst themselves and ignore the next directions they needed to complete their assignment. I stared at the apparently innocent rows of desks, the lovingly crafted Harry Potter decorations on the wall, the rainbow of covers of the elementary chapter books on their shelves, and wondered whoever decided that hell was necessarily made of fire and brimstone anyway. Maintaining an image of composure, I picked up a dry erase marker and started writing PREDICT on the board with its definition. I must not have made a very intimidating impression, a starting substitute teacher of 22 years with a young face. A few kids continued talking amongst themselves. I got the sense that they couldn't all hear as I read my definition out loud. It was only when I turned around from the board that I noticed her. A middle-aged woman in slacks and a smart blouse stood in the back of the classroom. She must have come in from the other door that led into the pod, a common space between classrooms. That was how she'd snuck up on me. At her first demand for quiet, the class settled down. Great, I thought. I'm pretty sure that's the principal and she's here to see me failing to control the classroom. My face began to heat up, a sense of panic smothering me. Why didn't I notice her before? Why didn't I try harder to control the class anyway? I could have written names down, reported back to their teacher how poorly the students had treated the substitute for the day. Was it too late to look like I knew what I was doing? My panic had to be compressed into as little time as possible or I'd lose the class again. I took a deep breath and smiled slightly at the woman in the back before I looked back into the sea of disinterested faces. Thank you, I said loudly and carefully, deepening my voice until I thought I sounded like a teacher. As if nothing had happened, I turned to the board and continued writing the vocabulary on the board, the dry erase marker sliding easily across. I tried not to cringe when a soft thud indicated the door had closed behind the only real adult in the room on her way out. Almost as soon as she abandoned me to the little monsters, whispers started up. I stopped. Do you want me to report back to your teacher that you weren't listening? I asked the class. 
Those that heard me stared at me blankly, challenging me to make that decision for myself. They were the good ones, at least they were listening. I returned to my lesson anyway. That was the last day I worked as a substitute teacher. It wasn't that the principal had decided I was too awful at my job to let me back, although I would have understood. Instead, a global virus had shut down the world, sending people into their houses to work and learn from home. I suppose I should have been horrified at the turn of events, but I was mostly relieved that I didn't have to substitute any more. I'd had kids throw books, tell me they hated me and flat out refused to do their work. I'd taken my fair share of phones and sent a few students to the principal's office. That kind of work might have been good practice for an aspiring teacher, but I had no such goals. Actually, I didn't really have any goals. Not at the moment. What I did have, though, was an anti-goal. A goal of what not to do. What not to do, eh? Um, Kate says the writing isn't bad, but this is starting in the wrong place. How often do we hear that, actually? A lot. Um, Robert says, I'm pretty sure that teenagers actually enjoy annoying the substitute. Is it really a character they're going to have empathy with, even if they should? Um, and Kate also says, a pretty good ren rendering of this supply teacher experience. Of course, that's not really what the, the, um, the manuscript's about. Um, it is trapped in an app. That's what I've got as a logline, trapped in an app, which I guess is a metaphor for our times, Andy. Oh, isn't it just? Mm. Do you want to talk about that? No, we should talk no. about that. No. <laughs> um, uh, I think you've got, you had the best blurb so far this evening. Um, I like the opening line, wanting to do something that matters. I think when you're a teenager, you know, you, you desperately, you know, to be honest, I've still got that, and I'm very old. But still, you know, I can identify with it um, as, a, as a as a main character. I've had the, there's there's two big problems I have with this. A, it's, it's, it's YA, and it seems your protagonist is a substitute teacher who's 22. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure they correlate. And and B, unfortunately, I think your writing is fine. This is such a standard situation that it, it's it's hard for me to kind of get excited about it. And also, yeah. it didn't it doesn't seem to reflect your your you know your good blurb um, at all. So I, I think when you're doing stuff like when you've got the, her thinking, I'm pretty sure that's the sub, that, that's the principal watching me. You're either you're repeating the action that you've just shown. So if I if I got that, then it's unnecessary. And if I didn't get that, then something's wrong in what you've just done. And. Hmm. Um, so, so, you know, yeah, I, just for me, I, I'm, I'm not really engaging with a substitute teacher struggling to wrangle 26 young kids, and I'm not quite sure why it's YA, and I don't think it fits, unfortunately, with your very good luck. Yeah, all right. Well, I can't disagree with any of that, actually, and I think the genius room is pretty much in agreement with you. So numbers, please, Andy. Um, I mean, the writing was fine, so no, I'll give it, I'll give it a three. Give it a what? A three. Got it. Thank you so much. So, Roz, there is some um, discussion. Actually, actually, there's some agreement, really, in the chat room that 22 is simply too old for a protagonist for a YA book. Is that the case, do you think? Or, I mean, I, I, well, I was wondering about that, and I was thinking, well, actually, you know, if you are a YA reader, maybe still at school, you do kind of wonder what it's like to be on the other side of the teaching desk, don't you? 
I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I was it was just me. It was just me. You might have but maybe it's a, a new kind of YA. But um, no, I was thinking, uh, I thought this character was going to be a teenager. And yeah. not in a job where um, where she's actually she's she's on the other the other side of the fence from yeah. teenagers. Yeah, um, she might as well okay. be a parent. Fine. I don't think it's the kind of character that they want to read about. Okay, and Riley. Like Sorry, Riley. Says, yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved the blurb. I thought the blurb was great. I was really mm. looking forward to to it. So I I was quite baffled by this choice of first scene. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, everything Andy said, I, I agree with. Yeah, there is general unanimity apart from me. I, uh, Riley, I tried the best I could. I tried to fight for your case. No one's buying it, I'm afraid. We, I think there is general feeling that your protagonist is simply too awful. Why, eh? I'm sure you can find exceptions to that somewhere, but we, we've all felt like that. So, Ros, coming back to you in some numbers, please. Before I give the number, I will say this premise is great. Do it something is. with it. Yes. Yes. Um, so I'm going to give you a three for the premise. Good. All right. Fair enough. Three for a premise. It's not strictly what we do here. I'm going to be incredibly mean again and say two. Because I'm not, you know, I, I, what do I do? I sell, I sell manuscripts. All right. I'm a hawker. I'm a hawker of manuscripts. Do you want to buy a manuscript? Um... And could I sell this at the moment? I think there is a general reaction out there. The protagonist is simply not not the right age. So I probably couldn't sell it. Hence my low score. Sorry about that. Let's see what's going on in the uh, scoreboard. So, yeah, it's bunching, isn't it? It's bunching. 50, 50, 60, 65. <gasps> Charlie, if you're still with us, I wonder if you've got any nails left. Because you are inching out there into the lead. No question about that. But we do have one more. It's a great pleasure, Charlie. Charlie's definitely with us. Um, we've got one more. Just one more. Our last submission of the day is now and then the um, uh, inverted commas. There. The quotation marks are uh, significant, actually. Don't often see books with quotation marks, uh, titles with quotation marks, do you? It's from Chris Colby. And there's a QR code there too, and it's commercial fiction. That's a neat, a big, nice, wide genre, isn't it? Hello. Hello, Chris Colby. <laughs> well, Chris, if you were hoping <laughs> to be anonymous, <laughs> I think your pseudonym has just been well and truly blown. So, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> oh, you can blame me, Liza, if you want. So let me read you Chris's blurb. I finally finished my first book, Now and Then. This doesn't sound like a blurb, Chris. Um, I finally finished my first book now and then, standing at 99k words. It reads like a mashup of the glamour of Jackie Collins, the mystery of Sherry Lapina, the humour of Marion Keys, and the feel-good factor of Belinda Jones. I love that combination. What a powerful commercial blend that is. But it's not a blurb, mate. As seven years old, here we are, here we go, this is the blurb. As seven years old, Charlie stared at her father lying dead before her. She's holding the smoking gun. What's the mystery surrounding the lives of Charlie Black and Oliver Diamond, both now and then? With exciting locations, a tale of revenge, mystery and friendships, and just stops there. You might have been truncated. We have, I think it's 500 characters you've got uh, and the form, and it looks like you probably have been truncated there, actually. Sorry about that. Um, no, I'm not sorry about that. You've got 500 characters, so use them wisely. Let me tell you about Chris. Um, you're 58 years old. 
you don't you don't need to give your age but if you do i mean it's fine i'm 58 years old i've spent all my life in the entertainment industry that's good because i i often remind uh, writers that's the business we're in actually that is the business you know we can get a bit highfalutin about it and so on but we are actually in the entertainment business when it comes down to it first as a performer you say then an agent uh, followed by a theatre director producer i enjoy a good page turner and i hope i've created a book that people will really enjoy so that means doesn't it we have to ask Kay to do her best the first page now and then by chris edmonds aka colby read by Kay. prologue coney island 1984 the lights flickered as an ear-piercing scream rang through the air. A gruesome sight loomed up ahead. The kitchen was dark and gloomy, but there was no doubt as to what was happening. The axe thundered down on the butcher's block with a crack as the head fell into the basket with a resounding thud. The cook raised her head towards the heavens and laughed with maniacal fervour. Charlie screamed and buried her head in her father's chest as the carriage sped past the bloody kitchen and pushed through a set of doors with a thud into sudden daylight. Charlie heard the music of Coney Island and opened one eye to see her mother jumping and waving frantically down below. Suddenly the carriage pushed through another set of doors and re-entered the depths of terror. Dante's Inferno resembled a castle with a devil-like creature peering over the parapet with bat wings and huge teeth. Wrapped around a large turret, a werewolf howled to the moon. Charlie insisted her father took her on the ride. After all, it was her seventh birthday and he couldn't deny her anything, even if it was against her mother's wishes. James and Lily Black were the happiest married couple you could meet and they both doted on Charlie. She was christened Charlotte Black, but her father always called her Charlie and it suited her tomboy demeanour. She was both mischievous and inquisitive, forever insisting on wearing pants and a tee, and spent her days climbing trees and saving wounded birds. Always a daddy's girl, she only had to squeeze out a tear and her father's heart melted. She could have anything she wanted if she put her mind to it. Lily waited anxiously at the exit. Suddenly the door sprung open revealing James with Charlie still buried under his protective arm. Charlie, it looked terrifying. Are you all right? Charlie pulled away from her father. Oh, it was fine, but I think father was scared. I had to comfort him. James winked at Lily as they climbed out of the car. Okay, who's for some cotton candy? Charlie shot her arm into the air. Me! But first, let's have a photo, please. Charlie ran behind the cutout of a werewolf family against a moonlit sky and poked her head through the hole in the face of a young werewolf. Lily laughed and pulled James with her for the photo and they all made a face at the camera. The photographer gave Lily a numbered slip and when they collected the print from the photo kiosk five minutes later, Charlie giggled hysterically. James hoisted her onto his shoulders making her squeal with delight. He squeezed Lily's hand. After I've signed off on this current project, let's take a trip to Disneyland. The three of us. Yay, squealed Charlie. Lily kissed James on the cheek. Well, it's a step up from Coney Island, I'll give you that. James laughed, but no more horror rides Charlie. They walked down the boardwalk, James holding Charlie with one hand and Lily in the other. It was the perfect day. 
a day that Charlie would never forget. The real horror of her seventh birthday didn't manifest itself until later that evening, after they arrived home. Two ear-piercing shots, then silence. The body lay before her, twisted, contorted, looking up in agony, imprinting itself on her memory. Charlie stared in disbelief and her world stopped turning for a few seconds. Her mouth moved but no sound came out. She tried to scream as her heart pounded in her chest. Nothing. Then came the blood. So much of it, seeping out of his shirt, slowly gliding over the polished parquet floor. She watched as the body convulsed one last time and then... Stillness. Footsteps. Someone was running down the hallway. The living room door flung open and Lily threw herself into the room. Charlie turned in terror as her mother screamed, No! She stared at Charlie's hand. Charlie, what have you done? Charlie looked down. There in the clutches of her tiny hand was a revolver. She looked at her mother in disbelief. Uh-oh. We're in for some trouble there, I think, Charlie. Um, first reactions, Ros, please. Um, I, first of all, was quite um, confused because I didn't realise it was a ghost train until mm. it, it was quite the way in. And because we know there will be a murder, I was thinking this was going to yeah. be it. And why is it being described in such a peculiar way? Um, and then I, having seen the whole excerpt, now I realise what this is doing is setting up the, the perfect family and um, lovely day, and then that's all undermined um, mm. and, and destroyed. Mm. Um, I think it could have done it much faster. Um, and the writing also seemed quite pedestrian. It, it, was, it, it was clear, it was um, vividly imagined, but it, it, there wasn't enough panache that you need with this kind of fiction. I felt, um, yeah, and I, yeah. I also the um, the comparisons that she was aiming for the comparison writers. One of them she mentioned is Marion Keats, who who has a a very sort of warm and characterful voice, yeah. and that that's not this kind of writing. This this kind of writing is is serviceable, but it doesn't mm. have that that kind of style and panache. I'm not getting any voice at all. Actually, it's a good point. Yeah, um, give us a number. Um, two. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that, and I heard that hint of regret in your voice because you don't like to do that, do you? Yeah. This is this is this is what a, a book doctor, no, a book witch, no, what is it? A book whisperer witch, does. Witch. But no. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Sorry. Uh, quickly moving on to Andy. Um. Now and then, I, I don't like the quotes. Sorry, they're not for me. Um, no. blurb, as, as Pete said, your, the first paragraph in your blurb is actually for your letter. The mm. second paragraph, the first sentence, is the beginning of a tremendous blurb, and then you go back to pitching again. So uh, you definitely need to look at that. It does need um, something out. The idea of an agent who needs an agent, that's a story in itself, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. something I want to read right there, frankly. Um, so that's, that's all good fun. Um, <sighs> Um, I mean, to look under the chat room, it's up on me straight away. Your your text is so dense; um, oh. it needs breaking up because um, you know it's just it's not pleasant to look at or read like that. So I would definitely look at formatting your your text a bit. And you know, I was so frustrated and, and annoyed earlier on because I didn't know what was going on. Like was, I was really no, lost. No, no. Um, 
I, I know, I realise now that the clue is Coney Island. And yes, I've never been to Coney Island, but I am aware there's a theme park there. So that makes sense. But right now, gosh damn it, I desperately want to be in a theme park. I mean, I like theme parks anyway, but yeah. you know, I'm trapped in my house. I want to go to a theme park. I so agree. why be a about it? Tell yeah. me I'm in a theme park and I'm yeah. excited straight away. Being a bleak about it like that, it, it, it has the danger of making you look like you're being smart and it yeah. makes me feel not very smart at all, um, which yeah. I hate. So, so please don't do that. Um, but, and then we, we, then, then we, we realise we're with Charlie. She, she likes wearing pants and T-shirts, which to me feels what child doesn't. That feels a bit unfashioned, old-fashioned. Well, everybody does that old. in lockdown. I mean, we're all doing that now, aren't we? Let's face no, it. I'm wearing my sweatpants yet oh, again. Oh, don't! No, oh, God! Always. Oh, no! Oh, I'm wearing a shirt. I'm not going to show you. I'm just not. <laughs> Come on, Peter. Get them out. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I have Bermuda shorts on and you're not seeing them. Because <laughs> you're going to see my knees if you do. Uh, oh, uh, let's get back on topic, guys. Uh, it was a very confusing beginning. Yeah, go on. Um, but yes, and, and I was thinking, OK, I'm going to have to give this a two. Yeah. Um, but, and, and, oh, no, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. You haven't? Oh, oh, oh sorry, yeah. take all that back. Take my two back. Yes, take it, take it back. Ending, all right, all right. It's not a two. What is it? No, the ending I thought was fad. And, and huh. that's what I loved about your blurb, the idea of a seven-year-old kid shooting her dad. And I thought you painted that heart-achingly graphically. And, okay. I, and I was involved in that. Um, oh. I, as a caveat, I must add, someone in the chat room said they're called Liv, Millie and James, like the parents in Harry Potter. Yes. And I, I just happened to be reading, reading Harry Potter again at the moment. And also they're called Black, which is of course Sirius Black. So I will definitely change those names. Um, uh, but I thought uh, the last two parts were really, really fun. Uh, oh, no, not fun. Horrific. But, but yeah, I'll give it a thing. And I'll wow. Wow, that's great. Thank you. And, uh, of course, the juniors from now, even at this moment, are exchanging photos of what they are wearing in their bottom halves. We can't show you that, obviously, being YouTube. Um, uh, yeah, let, so let me let me just give you my take quickly, Chris. Um, it was a very, I think everyone agrees it was a very, very confusing beginning. At that point, you would have lost most agents and most publishers. They would have just gone, oh, this is, this is not right. Next. Gone. Gone. So... You know, that's um, you've got to sort that out. Uh, the beginning was just a solid mass of text. I can't tell you how horrible that is to look at. If on a Friday afternoon you're, you know, you're reviewing submissions and maybe you've been through twenty, maybe you've been through thirty, and you see that that thing, it's a solid migraine just staring at you. That's what it is. So please show a little sensitivity in terms of the way you present the material, um, and just be be nice to your reader. I keep saying that. Please be nice to your reader. Um, you, you're not helping me with the genre. Just to say commercial fiction is not right. That's what we deal in. You know, we, we, we need to know what shelf it's going to go on. We need to know what uh, what publisher to pitch it, which imprint, which editor to pitch it at. So you've got to have to be more precise there, please, if you can. Um, and there are some basic writing tricks I think you need to learn as well. Uh, and they are tricks, so you can learn them. But all that means, it's a two from me. Sorry, but there we go. Um... Thank you very much. I'm going to call you Chris. Thank you, Chris. That's very nice to hear. Especially, you know, when, when we're kind of realistic about stuff. 
we do get feedback actually just interestingly people do review us i mean if you if you want to re review us now leave a comment on youtube please do like us please do subscribe to us please do because that helps to to get the word out and we are definitely not hitting it as far as the youtube algorithm is concerned now since the the recent rejig so we need all the help we can do uh, we can get in that in that respect particularly subscribe to the channel particularly like the video and that, i think that seems to to raise it up a bit but we is it is nice to hear um you know if we've had a a, a useful effect um and please say we do get some gratifying comments from people actually here's one look at that that's from sarah sarah's on just a, a week or two ago i was on last week for another of my works in progress says sarah feedback was brilliant i've been thus inspired to a frenzy of revisions across the board i'm looking forward to submitting again when i've had a bit of an edit thank you very much sarah we're doing some good it's, it's nice to feel that so do review us we review you you can review us um now let's have a look at the chat room score for the very last time today and yeah it's all been added up it's all been added up so chris you just just a hair's breadth away down there but you are at 45 percent we've got two at 50 percent one at 60 percent but charlie the very very first submission of the day you come out on top make your pop-up submission subs.latopia.com well i think you come out on top but you may not because in the next few seconds we're going to give the chance to our fabulous panel actually haven't been they, they've been great today people have been saying that in the in the chat room so you must have been great andy you can see the scores in front of you there you've been generous to a fault perhaps too generous perhaps you want to change one of your votes downwards instead of up you know, usually um, I, I, I play more, but in this case, it's because I love the seventh day so much. Um, I would I would drop the belly of the dragon back down to a three because I did I did enjoy the seventh day that much. You're going to drop that to a three. It's done. Wow, doesn't often happen, but it happened. Roz, so nice to see you on again. Hope you come back soon. Do you want to change your vote? No, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy with what I've given everything. I'm, I'm not comparing them. Um, I don't. I don't consider one to be yes. know, because I give a three to one, but then give a give a four to another. It's, no, they. Yes. They stand. You take everything as it comes, which is just fantastic. For the, uh, which, which you prefer, book whisper or book witch? I quite like witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you shall be known as that henceforward if you so wish. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. Fantastic to see you. Um, I hope we see you again soon. Don't forget to vote on today's show. That's it. Latavia.com slash vote. That's where you go. And please do over the next six and a half days. It's been a great show. Thank you so much, Ross Book Whisperer and Andy. Seagulls forever. See you next week, everybody.